Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Central Texas Life. Now, this is a first for me. I'm doing an interview with a published author, and she writes under a nom de plume, which is her pen name. And uh, we're not going to reference your real life name. No. That's what I was told <laughs> by a mutual friend. Yes, we're going to set keep- this up. We're going to keep it a secret today. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to keep it a secret today because Percy J. has uh, got her first book out. It's called The Bride of a Leicester, and it is fun. This is, <laughs> this, is called, this is called Romantic Fantasy, and it is, I have to admit, it's, it's a subgenre yes. of fantasy fiction, and I, it's just not something I normally read but as a kid I always loved fairy tales Mm -hmm. I mean I loved fairy tales and so that's kind of what you've written yes it is it is very much a fairy tale inspired story and I wanted to take some of those fairy tale tropes and classic fantasy tropes that we all grew up with and say what happens if we added a little bit of real world logic into this if we had like the Conan the Barbarian character, and we made him this big, tough warrior, what would real-life consequences of having those kinds of qualities be? You know, if you're, if you're a woman in a high-fantasy setting and you don't have a whole lot of choices, how would that make you feel? So I took those concepts and just kind of ran with them, and this is how I ended up with it. Well, and it is a page-turner, I have to say. I mean, it was really a lot of fun. It was a fun read, um, The Bride of Leicester, and got to the end, and... Ah, we have a cliffhanger. <laughs> and if I had read the inside cover carefully, it says, this is the first in the Leicester series. <laughs> so you have more. I do have more. I currently have the second book, The Sorceress of Leicester. It is almost completely oh. drafted. Three-fourths of it is currently with my editor right now, and we are looking at a spring 2024 release date. That's coming right up. It is coming right up. Well, okay. So let's let's get into it. Um, now, you know, in, in talking about this subgenre, uh, it says one of the key features of romantic fantasy involves a focus on relationships, social, political, romantic. Yes. Very, and you ca- and you have all those bases covered. Romantic fantasy has been published by both fantasy lines and romance lines. So, um, it's it's got a definite love story, with 
pretty major, mm -hmm. shall we say, a big twist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to read it. To it's a beautiful it. play on words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, but so, so what intrigued you about that particular aspect, the romance part of it? Well, it first started out as a love story, first and foremost. The very fledgling concept of The Bride of Lycaster started because Beauty and the Beast is my favorite love story. And so I asked myself, what if I had a Beauty and the Beast style story, but instead of making the beast an animal, I just made him way too big and specifically nine and a half feet tall. A giant. A, a giant. And so how would that work with a very petite woman? I mean, you can you can do the math in your head. The math does not math. That is not going to yeah. work. Well, and you have and you actually have um, little cards. You you even did a little. And I know you can't see it from here, <laughs> but you have sort of the perspective of our heroine Serafina yes. uh, sitting on Rand's yes. knee, and yeah, and so it's yeah, she's he tiny. The, the like, proportion. She's like a little munchkin on his lap. Yeah, I had an artist commission that scene because I wanted people to visualize exactly what the central conflict is, that they are not the right size for mm -hmm. each other. And some people will look at the art and say, why is she so small? It's like, oh, no, it's not that she's small. It's he's nine and a half feet tall. And people can't really conceptualize how large that is because people that large don't really exist. But when they see it, you instantly go, oh, this is a problem. Yeah, occasionally <laughs> you'll see a basketball player that's seven feet. Yes, maybe seven plus. I mean, that's that's pretty tall. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a major human mm -hmm. being. But you're adding another couple of feet on yeah. that. Um, of course, you know, in fairy tales and so forth, giants are fearsome. You know, fee fi fo fum. Yes, I smell the blood. I'm an English, <laughs> but you know, and they eat people. Yes. So uh, that kind of figures. There are those kinds of creatures in your in your book. Yes, I do have giants in the book. They are immediately introduced as these very fearsome creatures. Um, and I don't think it's too spoilery to say that they end up causing the death of Serafina's older brothers because they do fee-fi-fo eat them. And that's the catalyst of all of the conflict in the book. And so whenever Serafina ends up being forced to marry a, an alleged half giant, she has a lot of angry feelings about that, and that also drives right. the conflict. Right, right. Con conflicted on her her grief, her ongoing grief with the loss of her of her brothers. But yeah, you mention you know in trying to conceptualize this uh, this character as being someone you know in an archaic age. Yes. Uh, where the young ladies are schooled in a separate mm -hmm. school, and they're kind of brought up for what they're going to become, and they really have no no choices. No, none whatsoever. And they're they're quite angry about that. And my different female characters take that anger and use it in different ways. Serafina takes that anger and it's very low burning and it drives her motivation to manipulate and to lie and to connive her way just to get a crumb of safety. Then you have other characters like Brietta where she takes that anger and she stays quiet, she reads, she tries not to make too big of a fuss. And then there's Annalisa who lashes out and she's a bully and she <laughs> she will if she's upset about something she will tell you about it. Yeah, she's kind of a wench. She is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um but you know they they kind of form these alliances. And uh, yeah, and of course, you know, again, I don't know how much detail we want to get into, you know, on this podcast about about the book. But the storyline is uh, that they they reach 
the age of marrying. Yes. And so they're just like cattle at an auction. That's exactly what it is. Yes. <laughs> and and they don't know who they're going to end up with. It's, you know, of course, there are game shows on TV, you know, about, you know, love at first sight. I mean, mm-hmm. all these kinds of crazy shows that we see now that's, you know, in a way, I don't know, The Bachelor, Bachelor, that's been around for years, you know, but it's the same kind of idea that, that you're sort of competing, you know, for somebody. Yes. But in this case, the, the young ladies, they, they have no choice. They just end up with whoever they end up with. That's right. There's a lot of magic yes. involved in this, too. Let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. So, whereas the magic is concerned, it's very folklore-based. I did take a lot of inspiration from Norse mythology with my magic. I took a lot of inspiration from Greek mythology with the concept of my magic. And the magic is, at least in book one, a metaphor for human phenomena such as post-traumatic stress disorder. Hmm. The way the magic is, um, the way it manifests in the main love interest, Rian, and why he's so large is that he is a soldier. He went to war and he came back and he doesn't know how to deal with those feelings. And the way he describes it in the book is that his body betrays him when he's afraid, and so he gets bigger. Right. It's in a way a little bit like the Incredible Hulk. Yes. Where he would be kind of normal. Well, he's never, like, normal because he's tall. But he can get bigger. Yes. When that anger or, you know, like the adrenaline or whatever causes these changes in him. Mm -hmm. There's really not any way he can, you know tap the brakes on that? No, there's no way he can stop it. And much like in real life, whenever someone has post-traumatic stress disorder and they can turn into a monster metaphorically, Rian Bloodstone turns into a monster literally. And he just keeps getting bigger and more fearsome. And he lives a life where he's incredibly uncomfortable in his body and it ends up making him very isolationist. And he doesn't have relationships and he doesn't have friends. And it's a very sad thing. So you see him at first as this fearsome monster and a great warrior and how awesome it must be to be him. And then the more you learn about him, the more you realize this man is absolutely miserable. And it's quite sad. And he would like to love someone. Yes. He would like to have a, but who, you know, who? Who could ever learn to love a monster? You know, that's the problem. Um, But yeah, so let's, let's delve a little bit more into Miss Serafina. Yes. She's a, she's a very complicated character she is and people are 50 50 on whether they like her or they dislike her it's she's it's a it's a schism (laughs) amongst my readers yeah um she is obviously i mean it's her it's her voice pretty much that we're that we're hearing and so everything is kind of filtered through what she's thinking but she's pretty honest about her her own scheming and and she kind of lies to herself she does. In, in thinking, oh, well, you know, no, I really, you know, I, this is what I want to happen. And then, then she can, kind of can become conflicted as more information is revealed to her. Yes. Something that I really wanted to do with her character is utilize the concept of an unreliable narrator. Because we in first-person perspective and we see her internal monologue, I wanted her to be such a good liar that she not only lies to herself within her own internal monologue, she lies to the reader about what's happening. 
So you can see some clues in the text how something is described, but her internal monologue will tell the reader something that's clearly the opposite and not at all true. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you say you, you drew on Norse mythology, Greek mythology, um, and you, you loved this kind of style of, of story and storytelling as a kid. Did, you had a favorite, but what are some of the other uh, fairy tales or, or, or things that you kind of feel like you drew on for, for writing? this series? Well, I'm definitely a huge Disney fan. Uh I was the kid who grew up in the 90s with the Masterpiece Collection on VHS, and so I would watch those movies over and over and over. And as I got older, I wouldn't just watch it for the story or for the characters or the songs. I started watching it to see how these stories are constructed. Take the story of Snow White, for example. Snow White, the first animated movie feature length ever to ever exist, it focuses a lot on an emotional journey rather than necessarily a logic-driven plot. And so it takes you through these really rough moments. Like, if you can remember, they're in the woods. It's very scary. She's going through all of this torment and torture. And we even get to a funeral of a Disney princess at the end. That's incomprehensible to think of today. But because you go through all that strife and all that pain, that happy ending, in contrast, is luminescent with how happy it is. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to take that concept of we're going to put you through heck because that happy ending at the end is going to be so sweet because of it. So I just took all of these concepts of storytelling and of character building from classics we love, like from Disney, and that's what I really drew my inspiration from. Yeah, I mean, we're we're hearing and seeing, you know, how... Disney, you know, they're they're kind of getting off into some weird stuff. Now. Yeah, <laughs> really, and it, and it's like almost like go back to your roots, and t- retell these stories, you know. And so I I don't know. It's it's exciting though to see uh, what you you come up with this now. All you know, cards on the table, as it were. You've got other I, cards we can look at. Um, it's a little spicy. It is a little spicy, just a little bit. <laughs> You know, there's a few F-bombs in there, and, there, you know, there's some yes. language. I'll put it that way. So definitely, um, you know, not for your preteen. No, it's not for preteens. I actually have a page right in the front where I inform any potential readers that this story is for audiences 18 and up, and I do inform the reader what the contents of the book are. I think that's very important, not just for parents of potential readers, but also for readers themselves. Because I do get into some dark themes that some people just might not want to read, not, might not be pleasant for them. Yeah, and my, just might not be the best thing for a younger reader, for sure. Um, I, I do like to talk to authors, though, about their process. Um, without 
saying too much more about your personal life. I mean, there is a <laughs> child involved. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so how do you, you know, how do you, how do you personally find the time to have a career as a professional mm-hmm. person and and uh, and do this too. This is not this is not your only job, right? So I do have a normal job. I do have a normal eight to five, and what I do is I will go to my job. I will come home. I will be mom, and all that time I'm marketing on my social media. I write at night, and I work until usually about one a.m. every really? night. Mm-hmm. Every night there are no days off. My weekends are completely consumed with working. And because I self-published the book, I not only write the book myself, I also do the majority of the editing myself. I have to find my cover artist myself. I have to find my artist myself. I do all of the internal art myself. I draw my art myself. I even made my own font for this book. So I I did. Thank you. A lot. Yeah. And I have to say, (laughs) I haven't found any typos. I haven't found any misspelled words. (laughs) And I, you know, I was kind of the grammar mom in the newsroom. Yes. And, um, and I, you know, I have had people on where, you know, there'd been a few things that slipped through the cracks, you know, but I've not found any. So kudos to you (laughs) for doing all that yourself. I was a magazine editor in college. I went Uh to Oklahoma State University for my undergrad and it was drilled into me to do multiple passes, to have that editor's eagle eye and to not send something to print unless it is perfect. Now you will always find something after it's gone to print. I know I did whenever I had like thousands, not thousands, but thousands of passes over my magazine. I still found one typo. Yeah. How did you get through? (laughs) It perseverance. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was just a point where I, I could not give up because I knew it was going to get done. I did not see a scenario where it didn't get done, and I just did it. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I mean, I just think, think it's remarkable, and, I, and I'm so proud of you for doing that. And what I, what I like is that at the end, you've got discussion questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, you, 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 a lot of them related to the heroine of the yes. book. Uh, Serafina and you know how you know well, why do you think you know so have you been hearing from uh, book clubs I mean have people been using your book or do you, you know how, how do you get feedback I, on who's reading I did book? have an appearance on an online book club last week and that was a lot of fun they didn't Good. necessarily follow the discussion questions but people like discussing the characters yeah um, I have not had any of like book clubs reach out to me and say, hey, we want to do your book. Can you have an appearance? I do know that um, Blackbird Books and Spirits in Belton has been wanting to do book clubs. And if anyone's listening and if you want to do a book club, I am more than happy to <laughs> be yeah. of assistance. I please do. I think it's wonderful. Um, I really intentionally made The Bride of Lycaster something for people to discuss, whether it's the theme or the story or whether people kind of choose their favorite character and argue on their behalf over why they did nothing wrong and everyone else is wrong. Yeah. And I, I, I did that on purpose. Everyone's going to find something they like or relate to in this book. Well, oh, absolutely. You know, I, I believe that is true. So you've got the second one, The Sorceress. Yes, The Sorceress of Lycaster. And so what's, do you know what's the third? I mean, what do you have? Is it going to be a trilogy? Is it going to be six books? I, do you even have an idea in your head? I, and that's the other thing. I just don't know how you come up with this stuff. I mean, how you how you conceive of the characters and the storyline. I mean, I just think it's awesome that you've been able to do that. Well, in terms of coming up with the story, what would happen is 
I had the fledgling idea for The Bride of Lycaster, and mm. I'd been wanting to write for a long time, ever since I was 12. And I came up with an idea, and I tried to write it, and I never was able to write more than a few pages. I didn't know what was wrong with me that I couldn't finish it. And then whenever I was driving around for work, I would entertain myself on these long drives by watching scenes of The Bride of Lycaster like a movie in my head. Playing it in your head. And so for nine months, I just watched it while I was running or driving or doing anything mundane, just entertaining myself in my mind. And then one day, it was a Saturday morning in April of 2022, I just opened up a Word document and I said, okay, let's do this. And then I, I wrote it. I wrote the first draft of The Bride of Lycaster in two months. Did you really? It, it took me two months and it's, the first draft was 90,000 words. So it was, it was, it was pretty big. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, so did you have a, an outline in your head when you started or did it evolve as you're writing? Oh, it evolved completely. Okay. Um, the, the, the story that went to print is completely different. Well, I shouldn't say completely different. The heart's still the same, but it is very different from my first draft. Yeah. A lot of the characters evolved. My motivations evolved. As I evolved as a storyteller and mm -hmm. as I got to know my characters better, I just kind of let them lead the story. And that's where I found like these really good moments. I was like, ah, I, I now understand you. I now understand why you're doing the things that you're doing. And I think people are really going to enjoy this story now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's just, I, I love hearing the process. I mean, I just think it's, it's fascinating. Um, how you go about doing that. And you say you self published. I did. <clears throat> so what all was involved with that? I mean, so I, mean, I this is a great, you know, basically yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a very nice book. I did want, and there is, there are a thousand different ways to self publish. Some people go through Amazon. Some people go through a a printing service where they print the book and then sell it through themselves. I went through a publisher called Ingram Spark and Ingram, the bookseller is where most booksellers get copies of any book from, whether it's published by a large publisher, a small publisher or an independent publisher, they get it from that site. And so what I did was I provided Ingram Spark with the files. So I formatted everything myself. I delivered them the cover myself and they put it together and they distribute it to places like Barnes and Noble and Amazon and pretty much anywhere books are sold. I'm in Walmart, I'm in Target, they do all the distribution, I just gave them the file. That's awesome. I mean, that, that really is great. Um, very cool. Well, nearing the end of this, and I like to end these visits with a little questionnaire <laughs> similar to the one that the late, great James Lipton would use on Inside the Actor Studio, so this is my take on it. What is your favorite word oh my favorite word I think I've used it already but I love the word luminescent that's a good word as a wordsmith that's excellent <laughs> what's your least favorite word oh my least favorite word I know it's not the f word because you used a lot in the book I, the f word's <laughs> in my top 10 favorites I'm not gonna lie <laughs> okay <laughs> oh your least favorite I don't like using a whole lot of adverbs. I mm -hmm. know that. Probably the word cringe. Yeah. I don't like the word cringe. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, what turns you on creatively, emotionally, spiritually? What turns me on creatively? Being alone with my thoughts and being honest with myself. 
I love chewing on things and ruminating on things and finding out the why and the how. And when I get that raw feeling of why and the how, I like to take it into something tangible and put it into words for people to understand. That's where my creativity comes from. Good. What turns you off, conversely, creatively or spiritually or emotionally? Something that I really don't like to write in my books is violence or gore. I don't have a lot of it. I mm -hmm. don't really like blood and guts and decapitation, which is odd because it's fantasy. People right. expect that going in. You know, you had plenty of opportunity. You could have. Yeah. You could have done that. I don't like reading it, so that's I'm good with you on that. Um, <laughs> what sound do you love the most? I love the sound of hearing people's voices when they tell me what they love about the story. It's that little lilt in their pitch when you can tell they are really happy or inspired or moved by something. And it fills my soul in a way that I did not think was possible. What sound do you hate? I figured that was coming. Yeah. Um, a sound that I hate. Yeah. Other than just the normal nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, yeah. That's a bad one. I don't like negativity. Right. I don't like when I can tell people are just trying to drag somebody down mm -hmm. because that's not, that's not the life I'm trying to live as an author. Mm -hmm. right. I believe in supporting each other, not competing. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, we never said what your profession is, but, <laughs> but what what other profession would you like besides being a, a book writer? What what other profession would you like to have tried? I would have loved to have been on film more often or be a voice actor. Oh, I loved the world. You could do that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I loved the world of acting. I love being a performer, and so. Here I am yeah, doing something I love at this well, moment. Yeah, and storytelling. I mean, creating yes. creating these stories. Um, what job do you know you would not want to do? No, thank you very much. Don't want to do that. And I say this with absolutely all the love and respect in my heart, but I do not know how teachers do it. <laughs> my parents are teachers. Every teacher in my, everyone in my family is a teacher. I come from a long line of teachers. I do not know how y'all do it. God bless every single one of you. Yeah, You're in my heart and mind constantly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's mine too. That's mm -hmm. mine too. Um, and finally, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Good job. Good. That's what we all hope for. Yes. <laughs> Percy J., you are a treasure. I mean, this is so much fun. The Bride of Leicester, and so I'm... Ready to read the uh, Sorceress of Leicester when that comes out. You know, we'll have to come. Yeah, I'm working hard. Back. You're working hard on it. And I uh, have you back to uh, to talk about it as well. So how can folks, you say it's available in a lot of places, but is there, you know, Amazon, just an easy way to, to get a copy of the book? Yes, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, anywhere you can find books in the normal large places. You can also get a signed copy from me at percyjauthor.com. I'll throw in my character cards, some art, some bookmarks, maybe a sticker or two if I'm feeling like it. <laughs> but I always give free goodies if you order from my website. Oh, well, that is cool. Yes. That's very good. I'm, and I've got this copy. I'm hoping you will sign it before you leave. Oh, of that course. <laughs> Anyway, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. All right, thank for you for having me on. I love talking. I just love hearing from authors. And <laughs> this is a totally new subgenre <laughs> for me, uh, romantic fantasy. So uh, The Bride of Leicester. And we'll see you again next time. Have a good day. Bye-bye.
Central Texas Life with Ann Harder is part of the Rogue Media family. Be sure to check out our other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate this show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.